0: Greetings and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Mining Stock Education. I am your host Bill Powers and in this episode we are going to be discussing what could be considered reasonable junior mining company compensation for both executives and board members and some things that resource investors should look at when they are analyzing management compensation. And this discussion is primarily pertinent to pre revenue juniors, not so much to cash flowing producers, especially the bigger producers. If you're listening on YouTube, please leave your insights below regarding uh, what you look for when you're analyzing management compensation and what are some immediate turnoffs or things that really uh, you appreciate about management compensation. If you're listening via the audio podcast, please engage the topic or feel free to engage the topic by emailing me at bill at miningstockeducation.com. I'd like to hear your thoughts and feedback on this topic. I've asked four executives different executives of junior mining companies that i respect to share their insights with us on this topic all four men have served on the board of directors of junior miners and they actively invest their own money in junior mining stocks the four executives are ivan bebek executive chairman of Orin resources hayadan ceo and director co-founder of osino resources both Orin and osino are sponsors of this show Hugh Agro, President, CEO, and Director of Revival Gold, and Doug Ramshaw, who is the President and Director of Minera Alamos. Uh, We're going to begin with Ivan Bebek, and this first segment comes from a chat Ivan and I had while recording a recent interview together. Ivan uh, gave me permission to share publicly what he shared with me in that conversation, so the conversation will pick up with us discussing what is appropriate compensation for an executive relative to the market cap and size of the company. Let's jump right in. I know that just from talking to a lot of people, they get kind of if someone's making 300 and you're talking about a 15 to 40 million dollar market cap.
1: Yeah, no, no, no. It's all market cap 100%. And if you have if you have market cap, say 400 million dollar market cap and you have one project that's fairly self running and it's, you know, unless you're just performing year after year in your share price, there's no point to have an inflated, you know cost just because of market cap, right? But if that one company is say it's a three hundred million dollar company and it has seven projects in two different jurisdictions, that's a lot of time out of the day, right? So, you know, I go at I think I'm at two seventy something a year is my income, but I've put three and a half million of my own money into the company. And I like to say I take it out as principal because I work hard and, you know, I couldn't look my wife in the eyes if I didn't get paid for showing up to work. Right. <laughs> um, I, I think that the, the comment that I would make is that, you know, managing a lot of people and managing a lot of projects and raising money and continually, I mean, this year we're still up year to date um, and performing kind of an annual basis repeatedly. I think there's going to be a certain level of, of compensation expected. What we haven't done, Bill, is we haven't given bonuses for over a year. Because um, people have salaries like I do myself, and most certainly don't want to take a bonus unless the company's well funded and performing, and we've agreed it that way unanimously, right? And if you compare us to our peers and other companies, uh, we use a a study, and I forgot the name of the group that does it. I'll find out for you, but um, we we don't. We're in the middle of the road, and there's there's certain. People that evaluate all the juniors and market cap wise, and we we like to fall in the middle—not too expensive, but we need to keep people wanting to work with us. Right.
0: The second issue, if I, I heard you mention compensation, or maybe it was bonuses, based on how you're performing relative to your peers. So yes. I like I like new metrics and new way of looking at things. So maybe you could talk on the, about that too.
1: So we look. Um, we are actually adjusting our own compensation. To be our compensated relative to our peer group that would be sufficient so if you took a bunch of companies that were good analogs to Orin, and you put them side by side are you the number one performing one or are you the last of 10 performing ones right and i've heard of this my partner sean and i have heard of this with some major companies and we looked at it as a very smart way because we generally outperform the entire space it's not because we want more bonuses but a good way to evaluate yourself and determine how much you're performing without bias outside of your independent compensation committee is to look at your peer group. And I think a lot of companies, and and this bothers me a lot. A lot of companies will draw a contract, and they will just hold to that contract, the letter of the contract, with expectations of it being fulfilled. Um, okay, if you're a producing mining entity and if your compensation is reasonable, but if you're a junior of capitals, you know, not coming in readily and if you're not performing i don't see how you should be entitled to any kind of a a substantial bonus i think your bonus is that you continue to get supported financially and to keep your company alive a bit longer right but for our group we're going to switch towards this new ideology which is to base it off our peer groups and agree to those peers and perform against them and see how we rank and that's how we will determine all of our future bonuses
0: I am here with Haya Don, he is the co-founder, CEO, and director of Osino Resources, one of the sponsors of this show, and Haya, I'd like to get your thoughts on what is reasonable mining, junior mining pre-revenue executive compensation.
2: Wow, Bill, you're putting me on the spot here. <laughs> but um, I, I, I guess I've stuck my head out before, so I'm going to have to say something. Um, I, I probably won't give you numbers, uh, certainly not on a radio show. But generally speaking, I think pre-mining is very important, you know, we don't earn cash, obviously, you know, we, we we dependent on investor funds. So for that reason, we have to be reasonable with our compensation. I think in the past, the mining industry uh, did not set a good example in that regard. So at Osino, what we did certainly in the early stage of the company when, when we were private and the early years when we were public, like up to last year, we definitely paid ourselves below market. We incentivize significantly with shares, some options. Um, uh, but having said that, we have also recently rectified that to some extent because the downside of underpaying or paying below market is that it's difficult to attract people. So you got to you got you to find the right sweet spot. It's not d- just by paying by by underpaying. That's not that's not good either. But I think generally speaking, I'm I'm not in favour of, of of excessive excessive cash compensation. I believe more in alignment through. Um, equity.
0: Now you and your co-founders have put a lot of your own money, investment dollars, into launching this company. So you're not just employees, but you own a large share of the company. What about mining execs that maybe they were an employee for most of their career and they don't have the capital that maybe you had when you launched this company? What would be reasonable compensation for them considering they may not have as much in terms of investment dollars when they launch their first solo project?
2: Look, I mean, if you're hiring somebody who's not a founder of the company, then um, you're going to have to pay them because if you pay peanuts, you get peanuts. But I think the issue that I have is that quite often, um, in the especially in the junior space, it's difficult. Well, it's very, very difficult to find good people. But the best situation you could be in is if you find people that are truly aligned, i.e. that are invested, that are not just hired guns, but that are part of the formation or the or the. the Uh, you know, the start of the company, the growth of the company, like in my case. I mean, in my case, I've I've been in the industry for 25 years. Um, If I had stayed at Anglo or one of the other blue chip mining companies that I worked for, um, from a cash perspective, I'd be earning a lot more than than I do now. And I have to ask myself that question sometimes, am am I doing the right thing? There's there's a significant opportunity cost involved. But I do this because, um, you know, I like the entrepreneurship, et cetera, et cetera. Ultimately, I have to be compensated for that opportunity cost, though, um, and like in Osino's case, we do that through um, equity assurances and so forth. Uh, I, I know I'm not answering your question. Maybe you must just try and nail me down more directly, but that's that's, that's how we do it.
0: And finally, Haya, uh, what is your perspective on change of control fees? Uh, this is something that many investors that I've talked to are frustrated with, with especially when the management tanks the share price over two years by 50%, and then they make millions when they sell it in a merger or an acquisition. Uh, what's your perspective on change of control fees?
2: Well, I have strong feelings. I, I do think they are necessary because I'm not, you know, it's, it, it, change of control fees are there to deal with the agency problem. I'm not an economist, but I mean in in, in in simple terms, the agency problem is as as, as a manager, you, you're there, you have a good job, but in order to look after the uh, best interests of the shareholders, you must be incentivized to support deals if they are good and if they are um, accretive or, or you know if they did, uh, represent value to shareholders. And that's wh- that's conceptually where these change of control payments come from. And, and therefore, I must be in favor of it. In fact, I've been in this situation myself with the last company we sold for $200 million. At the time, we had $40 million cash in the bank. We knew we had a great project. It was in 2012, we were living the dream. There was no reason for me to support the B2Gold transaction. At the time, we had a three-times change of control payment. And in today's terms, I guess that would have would be seen to be excessive. In our case, we, we accepted the deal with B2Gold. And part of the reason we accepted it was because of the change of control payment um, and in the end, retrospectively speaking it was the right thing, we did the right thing at the time so there, in that situation the change of control payment um, did what it was supposed to do but I guess the, the, the difficulty that, you, that we have nowadays, what you're referring to is that in the last few years there's been a lot of value destruction in the industry where management teams have gotten paid quite high sums of money regardless of the value destruction and that's obviously wrong Uh, But that's a problem with the structure of the compensation package, not with the change of control payment or, or cash compensation as such.
0: All right. I am joined with Hugh Agro. He is the president and CEO of Revival Gold. And I asked Hugh to give us his thoughts on what is reasonable junior mining and management compensation. Hugh, thanks for joining me. And uh, please share with us, because you worked for some of the major gold producers, share with us what it takes to recruit somebody that may have a nice salary and a nice position from one of these major gold producers to come and work for a junior gold developer or, or exploration company.
3: T- timely question, Bill. It's a difficult, uh, difficult thing attracting uh, the senior and capable people that you need in the uh, in the space to to new businesses. Um, and I think what you really want to find is somebody who's motivated by something other than a salary, uh, because in these junior businesses, unlike the senior companies where uh, many of these people uh, come, uh, it, it's uh, it's the case that you uh, you really have to be comfortable with the risk. Uh, you really have to be comfortable with the ambiguity, and um, you really got to love what you're doing. So you're there for more than just the, the salary. You're there because you want to you wanna make something great happen.
0: When an investor researches the MDNA and the circulars regarding management compensation, can you give us some guiding principles of what you consider to be reasonable, especially for someone like we're talking about, an experienced professional that's been now recruited to a junior?
3: Equity. Uh, I think you want to see equity alignment uh, among senior managers, uh, executives with uh, with shareholders, not different classes of shares uh, uh, and uh, and certainly not um, just uh, uh, equity linked compensation, but actual shares, actual skin in the game, Uh, shares bought with real cash, uh, not shares. Vended uh, through through uh, through some property arrangement or uh, through the construction of some uh, a shell structure, but um, real shares bought with real money and uh, a significant enough of them that it's meaningful to the uh, to the executive. Uh, are concerned.
0: When it comes to board compensation, how do you approach that at Revival Gold, and also how do you approach management compensation?
3: Well, it's similar to the way um, you know um, a number of our peers approach the the situation. At Revival Gold, we pay very basic uh, uh, salaries and board fees. And then we encourage our board members and and our uh, executives to buy shares. And at Revival Gold, uh, we have about uh, 13% uh, management team ownership in the business. That's shares that have been bought in the market, shares that have been bought as part of private placements, but shares that have been bought with real cash. And uh, that, I assure you, gives uh, the uh, the team a lot of incentive to perform for shareholders. Um, another thing I think investors need to look for is, uh, is severance arrangements. And, you know, some of these things can get out of whack, out of alignment with uh, what makes sense. Um, it often is the case that executive teams are, are uh, can be motivated by doing transactions just for the sake of doing the transaction as a result of these uh, very constructive uh, severance provisions. And uh, it, the good thing is that all of this is available to investors to see in the circulars. And in the case of Revival Gold, I think uh, we're probably one of the most uh, uh, investor-friendly uh, we have one of the most investor-friendly situations. The severance provisions for our team are currently set at about uh, three months. So there is really no incentive to sell the business or transact just for the sake of transacting. We're shareholders first. We want to see good value delivered for our shareholders, uh, and that's job one.
0: Excellent. I've been speaking to Hugh Agro, the president and CEO of Revival Gold. Hugh, thanks for joining me.
3: Thank
4: you, Bill.
0: I am here with Doug Ramshaw. He is the president and director of Monero Alamos, and he is also a director for one of the best uh, exploration stories in the last year, that being Great Bear Resources. Doug, thanks for joining me, and could you share with listeners what's your perspective on reasonable board directorship compensation?
4: Oh, Hi, Bill. It's good to be with you. Well, I I mean, personally, uh, uh, I'm a big believer that you should be paid based on the state of your projects and uh and not and not the anticipation of what a project might be so you know we'll go into production next year and i would hope i would hope at that point that uh you know remuneration would be more commensurate with with our company as a gold producer than as a gold developer and likewise if we were a gold explorer i'd think it would be commensurate with that stage so um you know i think uh you know, you need to align your you, you have to align your working. you know, your your salary to the status of the projects that are within the company and not try to anticipate what they might be. That's that's the way I look at it
0: and with directors of boards of junior miners that are pre-revenue do you think that the primary compensation should be maybe options with expenses paid? Would that be considered reasonable?
4: Yeah, I think, you know, it, it all depends how active you are as a director. I, you know, we, you know, I, I, I don't want to be a director of a company that I'm not active and engaged to support the company and its business model. But typically, yeah, I think a director fees should be very modest um, and, and really the compensation for a directors is, is largely option-based. Um, and hopefully if you're in at the right time, like I was on Great Bear, you, you know, you've, you've also got some early stock as well that certainly, uh, uh, makes the whole venture, uh, very rewarding should, uh, should you get lucky.
0: When an investor is looking at a potential opportunity and they're trying to assess whether, the management team is aligned with shareholders. Can you talk about the breakdown of share ownership and option ownerships that you would look for?
4: I have a little rule of thumb and 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 that's I always want to own more stock than I have options. So when I got involved with Monera, I, I needed to buy my position and and did so in the open market and 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 have bought now just over four million shares. Uh, I will always own more shares than I will option. So if I want to have a, an, a large option grant at some future point, I feel like I'm going to need to have put my money where my mouth is and buying the stock too. So that's just my rule of thumb. And it's one that I'm going to stick with, um, uh, moving forward. So, you know, I will, you know, I've got 4 million shares that I've bought, uh, alongside everyone else in our market, uh, over the last year and a half. And, uh, and, you know, just over 3 million options. So if I want to go to 5 million options at some point, uh, uh, I know I'm going to have to uh, throw a couple of hundred thousand dollars into the market uh, Otherwise, they'd break my rule, and I, I don't intend to do that.
0: When investors are looking at a potential investment and they're researching the founder shares of some of these uh, expiration companies, and um, some of the founders may have been issued shares at a penny or $0.05, five cents and $0.10, cents, and the shares could be trading at $0.30, cents, um, you have advised me in a previous conversation that don't just look at the, the cost of the shares, but there is another metric or uh, way to look at it, if you could share that with listeners.
4: Well, I think I mean there are. I think there are vehicles that are created with a lot of cheap paper, and you know, largely with a chance of moving the cheaper paper into the hands of uh, of retail at higher levels. Um, but they're but not all cheap paper is the same, and there are examples where people have their founder positions, but they've put a lot of sweat equity into and you know maybe more sweat equity than real equity into those positions and and you know there is a reward commensurate with uh with sometimes two three years of of uh funding stuff personally um uh to get it to a point where you can attract the investment in certain pre-public rounds um so it's tough. I think you need to ask the right questions of management uh, or the brokers that are pitching you on these deals of what was actually done, you know, to justify some of those early positions, um, because there are plenty of ways to commence, you know, compensate a um, an executive post the public round that make it worthwhile building these things. But, you know, I, I think that I know of people that put, a you know, several years of of, of sweat equity into a deal before it even gets to that stage where they're doing those private rounds. So I, you know, I, I think there are vehicles out there where I'd be cautious of some of the super cheap paper that's created, but there are examples where people have put a lot of sweat equity into it and the, the, the rewards of that, uh, those cheaper rounds of paper are justified. So I think you need to ask the questions of what management has done you know, in the lead up to when you might be looking at investing to justify those positions.
0: What is your um, thinking on appropriate change of control fees?
4: I've only ever had one um, and I waived it because when I merged my company Corex Gold with Monero Alamos, I was actually staying on in this new capacity with Monero Alamos. So I didn't feel that the change of control was justified in my case because my job wasn't at risk. I had the opportunity to continue with the company. Um, You know, there there are other cases where change of control is done because the person is out of, out of the job. He's done his job. He's got it to a certain point. Um, So I certainly, certainly wouldn't take a change of control myself if I was maintaining a position in the ongoing company. Uh, So in my case, I've had one and I waived it. Uh, I think rightly so. Um, I think, I think whether it's change of controls or bonuses or anything, I think there should be metrics that it's tied to in terms of there's certain things you do that you're paid for on a monthly basis to do. And just because you do them, I don't think it means you should automatically get an annual bonus. or a, uh, So stock performance should be very important uh, when a compensation committee, that I would hope is independent from the team that are getting any uh, additional incentive, um, stock performance and and meeting or exceeding goals on fundraising or, um, you know, all that comes into play. I think, uh, you know, companies should have uh, very strict kind of compensation committee uh, metrics that uh, that allow for due reward of maybe going above and beyond in any given calendar year for 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 one's efforts and I think the same applies to change of control payment
0: excellent you've been listening to Doug Gramshaw he is the president and director of Manera Alamos Doug thanks for joining me thanks bill. Thank you for listening to this Mining Stock Education podcast. Please subscribe and share with like-minded investors. Visit us on the web at miningstockeducation.com for more resources on precious metals and natural resource investing. At our website, you can also sign up for our free newsletter for interview transcripts, stock picks, and more.